Glad to be with you this morning. Um, I'm confident this morning is going to be, I don't know, going to be unique. I feel like God was stirring me in some unique ways this, uh, this week, and I'm excited to share. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to kind of jump right in. Grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. We're jumping back into our series, Jesus is going through the entire gospel of John. And we've been going through this series because the whole point is really to like investigate as much as we possibly can about Jesus to form our beliefs about Jesus. Uh, the, Apostle, the Apostle John actually wrote this gospel account, this eyewitness account of the life, death, and resurrection and ministry of Jesus. And he said that his motive, <clears throat> in John chapter 20, he said that his motive was so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So he has an agenda, our belief, okay? Um, Interesting week. Can we talk about this for a second? Uh, Kobe Bryant. Yeah, most, everyone kind of grimacing. Like, I don't, I, obviously I never met, not obviously, but I never met Kobe. But his passing seemed to have quite an effect on a lot of people, especially in Southern California. You know, like, uh, I grew up playing basketball. It was like my life for a good season, genuinely. Um, and Kobe was like larger than life. Uh, did anybody, you can be honest for a second, did, did, did his passing kind of like touch a deeper part of anybody in the room, like had a harder week this week kind of dealing with it? Yeah, me and Dorian were talking about it. Many of it. I encountered so many people that it just kind of like, it almost was as though somebody that you were genuinely in relationship with had passed away um, f- for many people. And like I said, I, kinda, I grew up a Laker fan, so Kobe was larger than life. He was, my, he was my favorite player for many years. Uh, everybody knows who Kobe is in the room, right? Do I have to explain? Okay, good. You guys should know. You live in Southern California. But 20 years a Laker. Um, and genuinely, pro- like, legitimately one of the best basketball players of all time. Like super gifted in his craft. Uh, just really, really good, you know? And one of the things that he was known for was he was really known for like winning. And not just winning, but like full on defeating his opponents. He had a pretty strong competitive drive, and, and it, his passing was just kind of shocking, you know? And I was thinking about it this week, and I was kind of just kind of praying through, like, God, why does, I mean, I don't know him, why does this hitting me and hitting other people in a similar way of just kind of like, whoa, this is kind of heavy? And I was thinking about it, and it's because he's such a, like, competitor and so given his life to defeating his opponent, and it kind of hit me, it was like, he's this larger-than-life figure, but there was this opponent that even Kobe couldn't defeat, you know? Like death, it's this looming thing for all people. It's out in front of all of us, you know? And obviously there's nothing like, there's nothing like death to sober us up as people, to realizing, man, life is so fragile. Like every moment we have is a gift. It's precious, you know? And I've just, like, death is this reminder that all people face this seemingly unbeatable opponent, you know? Death. So before I jump in this morning, I just want to take a moment, because I know it's kind of a, a thing that's, I don't remember the last time someone's passing was the headline of the news for an entire week. So it's hitting people in a unique way. So I just want to take a moment and pause and encourage some of us in the room, Okay? I want to encourage you with the reality of the gospel that the God of the universe, he put on flesh in the person of Jesus. 
you could say he, he put on a uniform, if you will, okay? To face a specific opponent. He came to live the perfect life in your place, in my place that none of us ever could. He came to die the death that we deserve on the cross. And then after being innocently executed, he raises from the grave, defeating death, the seemingly unbeatable opponent once and for all. And anybody, and hear me say, anybody and everybody who trusts him and receives him shares in that victory. That's why some of the authors in the scriptures can say, death, where's your sting? Death is a scary thing for many people. And it's this loomingly, seemingly unbeatable opponent. But I just want to encourage you. Jesus has dealt with death once and for all. And if you're in Christ, if your trust is in him, death does not get the final word. King Jesus does. Okay? I know it's been a tough week. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, While I'm talking about Kobe, uh, I kind of did the rabbit trail for maybe like an hour this week of like the nostalgic Kobe Bryant moments and like... I watched his, um, his retirement speech. Uh, he basically, his last game was, like, I don't know, a few, a few seasons ago. And at the end of the game, nobody leaves. He comes out to center court. They hand him a microphone. He's sweaty. I think he dropped like 60 points. But it was kind of funny because most of his opponents just kind of let him shoot a few times. It was out of respect, I think. But either way, um, <clears throat> so he comes out center stage. He's got the microphone. And he's just kind of like, you could tell he's having this moment of like, this is his retirement speech, essentially. He's about to, you know, retire from basketball. And, and he ha- he, like he says in the speech, he's like, he mentions how fast 20 years goes by, you know, how much he loved the game and how much he, he like thanked the fans for their support. He thanked his family for their love and the support. He talked about the journeys, you know, the ups and the downs and all that kind of stuff. And then for those of you guys that have seen this, his nickname is kind of like, it was what, the Black Mamba, which is kind of a cool nickname. He does this whole thing where he's like, Mamba out, you know, and then Mike drops. And, and it was this kind of, I don't know, kind of nostalgic moment. I, so I watched that, and it was especially moving, like, you know, like a few days after his passing. I'm watching this and just kind of feeling this, this sense of like, man, like it really was a privilege to be able to watch him as a kid growing up, you know, and now he's gone. But his retirement speech, like I said, especially moving now that he's gone, you know, a retirement speech is a pretty important moment if you think about it. Because when someone retires, they're essentially, it's a chapter changing in their life. And a substantial chapter where they devote a lot of their time, energy, resources to a specific assignment or mission or career or objective or whatever. A retirement speech is actually a pretty profound moment. And it's interesting because in today's passage, in John chapter 12, we are going to see Jesus. He's coming literally to the very, very end of his public ministry. So everything after we go through, everything after what we go through today is gonna be like Jesus' private moments with his disciples and then his death and his resurrection. So this is the end of his public ministry. And it's cool because at the very end of this passage, we get to see essentially Jesus' retirement speech the last words that he shares with the public before he goes and has an evening, the final night of his life with his disciples, and the next day he's executed. And like I said, retirement speeches can be really important because they can, they can hold some important information 
So, that being said, I'm going to pray for us uh, before we jump in, okay? Will you join me? Yeah, Father, I love you. Um, grateful for your grace. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd help me right now. I really want to serve and honor these people, these precious people. I want to make much of Jesus. And I just believe Jesus' words when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I claim that apart from you. Um, I can do nothing, but I can also face any trial because it's Christ that strengthens me. So I just claim these promises right now. My desire is to serve. I love you, Jesus. Bless us with your presence, Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. Um, Really quickly, if you guys are looking for seats, there's plenty up here in the front too, okay? I won't spit on you, I hope, but we'll see. Okay, John chapter 12, we're gonna read verses 37 through 50. Typically, when I preach kind of through a narrative, I'll stop periodically and kind of give context and commentary and stuff. I'm gonna power through these verses, so just track with me, and then we'll come back and revisit some things, okay? So here we go. John chapter 12, starting in verse 37, reading all the way through verse 50. Let's roll. Verse 37, even though he, the he there is Jesus, even though Jesus had performed so many signs, signs are like things that would point to his, him being the Christ, so miracles, signs, wonders, that's what it's talking about. So even though Jesus had performed many signs and wonders in their presence, they did not believe in him. Okay, so they see all this stuff and they still don't believe in him. Verse 38, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, this is why they were unable to believe. That's strong language. They were unable to believe because Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. Listen to this, verse 43. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Let that not be any of us in the room. Let's keep going. Verse 44, Jesus cried out. This is the retirement speech, you ready? Here it comes. The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. Essentially, he's saying him and the Father are one, right? Verse 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. Listen to this. For I did not come to the world, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And then classic Jesus, verse 48. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Okay. Um, There's a lot here. 
But primarily this passage that we just read is about unbelief. You have these people who have seen the signs, they've seen the wonders, they've seen the miracles, they've heard Jesus' words, they've seen him in action, and they still don't believe that he's the Messiah. They still don't believe. Um, What I want to do for just a second is I kind of want to take a moment to unpack what the Bible talks about when it uses the word unbelief. It's important, okay? And here's what we need to understand. When the Bible talks about unbelief, it's not referring to like a lack of information. So so for example, um, literally a week ago, almost to the hour, right after gathering on Sunday, I'm talking maybe 10 minutes after gathering, um, Dorian comes up to me and he goes, just kind of softly under, not under his breath, but softly goes, he goes, hey man, he's like, Kobe died. And I was like, What? And he goes, yeah, like, Kobe died. I was like, Kobe Bryant? Like, what are you talking about? I didn't believe, I was like, I was in unbelief. I didn't believe him, right? And he goes, yeah, and he starts to share more information with me. He starts to tell me, yeah, like, he was, it was a helicopter accident. He crashed, he was on the way to him and his daughter's basketball game. They left mass that morning, went to Catholic mass with his daughter, hopped in a, on a helicopter, and didn't make it, you know? And so the reason I share that is he's sharing more information. I'm in, I'm in this place like, oh, what? He, the more information he shares with me, the more I start to come to, like, I start to become more convinced that it's true. The more information Dorian would share with me. When the Bible speaks about unbelief, it's not speaking about a lack of information like what I just shared with you. That's not what I was talking about at all. When the Bible speaks of unbelief, it's not talking about a lack of information, okay? These people, remember, they saw the signs, they saw the wonders, they heard the words of Jesus, they saw him in the flesh. It wasn't because of a lack of information, a lack of, 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 of stuff, of information that they, they didn't believe, okay? Their unbelief, hear me say this, it was a conscience rejection of God in his word, you're taking notes, write that one down, okay? Unbelief biblically is a conscience rejection of God and his word, okay? Unbelief is not ignorance. It's not be, like not having awareness of information. So when you think about belief biblically, think of it in terms of, of, of it's more of like an embracing. Belief is an embrace, and therefore unbelief would be more of like a rejection, like a rejecting, All right? So unbelief is rejecting God and his word, biblically speaking. Cool? We can move on. I actually want to read you one quote regarding this by this uh, Bible commentator. His name is Matt Carter. He says this, quote, the simple truth is that to reject Jesus' word is to reject his person. You cannot have Jesus without embracing his teaching on everything from false religion to judgment to hell. You can't pursue a relationship with God apart from Jesus, and you can't pursue a relationship with Jesus apart from his word. Okay, so rejecting what Jesus says, his word, right, is rejecting him. That's unbelief biblically. You tracking with me? Because we can't really move forward unless we have this foundation. Okay, great. So that, that kind of begs the question, I don't know if it begs the question to you, but it begs the question to me. Why then? Why don't people believe Like, I try to put myself in the shoes of these guys that saw Jesus raise people from the dead, 
cast demons out of people, heal people, all these spectacular, I mean, like feed thousands of people. Like, I, w- I would be like, yeah, man, that guy's God. If he's saying he is and he's doing all this stuff. But why then? Why then people who don't lack information not believe? We know it's ultimately not because of a lack of knowledge. I will say this just kind of as a cursor. People need to hear about Jesus to believe in him, absolutely. Right, like the, you have to, the, I think it's Romans, what is it, Romans 10, talks about how like how will people hear if we don't tell them? So you have to have some information, right? You absolutely do. But information alone is not enough. That's my point, okay? Information alone is not enough. So why don't people believe? Why don't they embrace Jesus? The passage tells us at least one reason. Uh, Verse 39 says what? It says they were unable to believe. Does that freak anybody else out in the room? Okay, they're unable, thank you. They're unable to believe. Okay, so just track with me for a second. Has anybody in the room made a poor choice? If you have, raise your hand high so I can see you. Okay, some of us, great. All right, so imagine with me, kind of put on your imagination caps. Imagine with me, you've made a poor choice. Imagine you get caught. You get found out. Like royally caught, royally found out. And imagine your punishment is you, you go to prison. Poor choice, go to prison. And what happens in prison, right? You're like, you're in captivity. You're usually in like a box, essentially. So you're in captivity, you're separated. There we go. (laughs) Amen, sister. So you're in captivity, you're separated, you live where? Stay with me. In prison, in isolation, in a cell, right? You live in a cell. And in this cell, again, keep your imagination cap on, there's no windows in your cell. You don't have like a view of like the mountains. You're in a jail cell. You have like a crappy little bed. You have a small little toilet and that's it. You're in this cramped little spot. No windows, no light. And you're unable to see anything besides what's inside your cell. And here's the thing about prison. You can't leave. You're captive. You cannot leave. Romans chapter three talks about how all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That that means that they've chosen to reject God and his ways. They've done things their way. Sin, right? All people chosen that. And now because of that, they're in bondage to sin. They're in bondage to sin. They're held captive in darkness. All through John, if you've been journeying with us, Jesus uses this imagery of light and dark. Sight to the blind. Light and dark, right? So all people in bondage held captive in sin. So essentially that poor choice results in like a spiritual prison. In the cell, it has no windows. You can't see any light. That's the status of the human race. Ever since Adam and Eve, sin entered the world. All people sinned against God and now live in the bondage of sin and the darkness the, the scriptures even call it the kingdom of darkness. Unable to embrace anything besides what's in their jail cell that they have chosen because of the poor what? Choice. 
So, one of the reasons why people don't believe, one of the reasons they don't see the light is because they're unable to. Are you tracking with this picture? And hear me say this, that's what makes the ministry of Jesus so remarkable. In Luke chapter four, another gospel account, Jesus, he shares the reason why he left heaven. King Jesus being worshiped eternally, angels holy, 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 fully like in, in, in complete communal love with the Father and the Son, or with the Father and the Spirit, leaves heaven. He tells us why in Luke chapter four, verse 18, he says this, this is the words of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, listen to this, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed. So, our passage that we're going through here in John, it makes it clear, belief is not possible without God's direct work in a person's heart. I'm gonna say that again. Belief is not possible without God's direct work in a person's heart, okay? The jail cell is dark. It doesn't have any windows. So, light breaking in is the work of Almighty God. Look back at verse 46 in in John, chapter 12. The words of Jesus, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. So, God initiates belief. This begs the question, is belief then the result of man's choice or God's sovereignty? Does your mind not go there? Mine does. Like, what is belief, like, Man's choice or, or, or God's sovereignty. When I say God's sovereignty, I want to define this for you really quick out of a, I think it's the Lexham Bible Dictionary. It says this, sovereignty defined, so you understand we're all on the same page. Sovereignty, quote, is the fact that God is free and able to do all that he wills, that he reigns over all creation, and that his will is the final cause of all things. This is often expressed in the language of kingship. So when we talk about King Jesus, is that, he rules and reigns, it's his way. Okay, he's, so, he's a sovereign king. Now, this idea of God's sovereignty everywhere all over the scriptures, I'm just gonna highlight a couple to you because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, let me read to you Psalm 115, verse three. It says this, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Isaiah 46, verse 10, this is, this is God speaking. He says this, I declare the end from the beginning. And from long ago, what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. So there's no debate, like the Bible teaches God is sovereign, okay? So then is is belief, is it man's choice or is it God's choice? You gotta know, like this is something that the church has kind of been fractured on for a long time, Entire denominations get started over how they answer this question. So is unbelief man's choice or God's choice? Do you guys want to know what the answer is? (laughs) The nervous laughter. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It's both. 
It's both. The Bible teaches God's sovereignty over all things and the free will, which is choice, of mankind. Those two things coexist, okay? You have to understand this. So, when, you think, when we think of sovereignty, I want you to picture like a river, okay? I want you to picture you inside of a river. Now, you have, there is never a moment where you do not have a choice. You can swim, you can splash, you can put the water in your mouth and spit it into the air, you can float, you can twirl, you can do whatever you want. Like I said, there is never a moment when you do not have choice when you're inside the river. But when you think of God's sovereignty, I want you to think of it as the current of that river. It's always flowing. It's always moving. You're always in it. And it's always heading in a specific direction. Do you want to know what that direction is? That direction is Romans 8, 28. I'm going to read you Romans 8, 28 through 30, okay? This is the direction of the, of the, the current, the flow, where it's heading, God's sovereignty, all right? This is where it's heading. There's, we could do a year on these three verses, but I'm going to try to do it justice right now. Romans 8, 28, starting there, read through 30. What's the direction? What's the, what's, where's the current heading? What's it moving towards? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That basically means to become like Jesus, to look like Jesus, to behave like Jesus, to, to, to operate like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus. Okay, so for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's that familial language, God is father, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the firstborn. Verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so, hear me say this. The current of God's sovereignty is moving towards, what does it say? All things working together for, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So all things, the, the current of the sovereignty of God, where it's moving is that all things Everything, nothing is off limits. All things working together for the good of specific people here. Now, who? It says, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, he says this word, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. We're, we're just, you know, we're jumping into the deep end theologically right now, okay? And this is like, Get your floaties on if you're ready. If not, we love you. I understand if you want to tune out. But here we go. <clears throat> because here's the deal, guys. We can't responsibly talk about this passage in John. We cannot do that. Or talk about unbelief or God's sovereignty without understanding Romans 8. And one of my favorite things about, I'm going to, one of my favorite things about doing like kind of supplemental preaching with, we want to talk about topics. We want to, preach and teach on topical things, whether it's prayer or money or marriage or parenting, that's important. But 
One of the reasons why we consistently will go through books of the Bible just from beginning to end is because when you go through the books of the Bible, you're confronted with some of these really difficult things, some of these weighty theological things that inform what God is really like. Him, 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 him enlightening our hearts to the reality of his holiness, the reality of his bigness, and what that means for us. We just came to one here, okay? So <clears throat> when we talk about this passage in John, we have to understand Romans 8. And specifically, we have to understand the doctrine of election. Some of you are already tuning me out, and that's okay. We have to talk about the doctrine of election because it says those God foreknew. That word foreknew, I think it's one of the most misunderstood things in all of Christianity. And, and one of the ways that I see it play out, and here's what I mean by misunderstood. One of the ways that I see it play out is people go, okay, I can make sense of God foreknowing people. Foreknowing people. He... He knows ahead of time, right? He's above all things. He knows ahead of time who will choose him and who will reject him. So, oh, that's, that's what it's saying. But here's the problem with that. The problem is that's foresight. That's to, to foresee. Like, you know, to foresee what will happen. To foreknow is different. To foreknow is different. And here's the thing about foreknowing. It shows up everywhere in the Bible, all over the place. I'll just share a couple examples with you really quick, but there's way more than this. First Peter chapter one, this is the New Testament. The first couple of verses of First Peter chapter one, it's this letter that he's writing to Christians that are kind of dispersed all over the place. So Peter, he starts the letter by saying, he's like basically saying this is from Peter, right? So he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those chosen living as exiles dispersed all over the place, chosen, verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying, that means making us more like Jesus, work of the Spirit, that gives us insight into what the Spirit's doing in us as Christians, making us more like Jesus, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. So notice, it doesn't talk about foresight it says foreknowledge. Jeremiah uh, chapter one, I, don't, I didn't give you guys this first. Jeremiah chapter, chapter one, verse five, uh, God's speaking to Jeremiah and he says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. That word knew, to know, K-N-O-W, right? Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. In Genesis chapter four, this one's good. In Genesis chapter four, it says that Adam knew Eve and then she got pregnant and they bore a son. So listen, when the Bible uses the word know, K-N-O-W, when it uses the word know, it uses it different than like modern Western people like us use it. When it says that Adam knew Eve and then she gave birth to a son, it isn't... Do you think it's saying that he knew about her? Something very specific happened here. It's saying something so much more than just that he knew about her. It's saying that Adam set his love on her in like the most complete and profound way possible. He, he made love to her. They were completely one. And then she bore a son. He set his love on her. 
So when God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, do you know what he's saying here? He's not saying, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew about you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. He's saying, Jeremiah, a long time ago, like, like way back, way back, before you were even born, Jeremiah, I put my love on you. Foreknowing is different than foreseeing. To foreknow is to forelove. Do you hear me say that? So belief, embracing God, is not possible without God first revealing his forelove to a person's heart. Do you hear me say that? So listen, the picture is Jeremiah. The picture is Adam and Eve. To, to foreknow is to forelove. And, 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 and belief is not possible without God first initiating that, that understanding of the forelove of God, of that person. Okay, so what we see in this passage in John is that God initiates belief and is sovereign over unbelief. Now, really quickly, I just want to <laughs> acknowledge something. This idea of election, um, it's a Christian doctrine. It probably makes some of us in the room upset. It probably makes some of us in the room upset. And I'll be totally straight with you. It upset me big time the first time I was faced with it. Like, you know when you start reading through the Bible and like you're serious about it, like, I'm actually gonna read through the whole Bible. Like, I'm like reading through the Bible. You start to come to things where you're like, what do you mean like boil a calf in its mother's milk? Like, what? Like, what is it? You start to come to these crazy things that you read about in the Bible and go like, ugh, like this bothered. What is this? Why is this here? Okay, so... The doctrine of election, at first, when I was faced with this, it really upset me. But the reason it upset me is because I didn't yet understand the beauty behind it. The spectacular, in awe beauty of this. Now remember, all people sinned against God, right? Every single person ever. And just to, every person chose in the jail cell, okay? And just to throw this out there, if you have a hard time believing that, just understand, like, love you, um, that is heresy. Like, it's called Pelagianism to deny that people don't have sin, but I'll leave it there. If, 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 the, if election is bothering you, let me just read you a quote. Tim Keller says this. This can bring you peace. Tim Keller says this, quote, people say, well, it's not fair. I'm afraid maybe I'm not chosen. Well, if you're really afraid you're not chosen, it's very unlikely, I suppose, if you're really afraid you're not chosen and that fear is because you really want to believe, then that shows the spirit of God is already working in your life. Here's the thing, guys. This gets funky. The truth is, we have no idea who's chosen. We have no idea. To make any assumption that I could determine who God has chosen is like the most arrogant thing someone could do. There's indicators, there's fruit in people's life, absolutely. But things get really funky when we assume that we do know who's chosen. Okay, this is why we preach the gospel to everyone, anyone. We don't spend any time trying to figure out, well, did, are they chosen? Like, did God elect them? Like, is it? No, we preach the gospel to all people. 
okay? We have no idea who's chosen, but we do know everyone has a choice. That's what we do know, and that's why we preach the gospel to all people, everywhere, anytime, any place, anywhere. We preach the gospel, we share the gospel, anyone and everyone. Nobody is off limits. Because hear me say this, God can save anyone at any time. If you don't believe me, look at the Apostle Paul, man. The dude was like hell-bent on murdering Christians, and then he has an encounter with Jesus, and he wrote half the New Testament. God can save anybody and everyone whenever he wants to, okay? So, like I said, the doctrine of election, it upset me until I saw its spectacular beauty. Uh, I want to tell you a story quick. I'm doing good on time. Um, I have a friend, I have some friends, actually, who, when they got married, they weren't sure if they wanted to become parents. Kind of back and forth, is this something that we want to do? Is this something we don't want to do? Um... And then all of a sudden, they were like convinced that they wanted to adopt. Like totally convinced, right? And they had to go through this, uh, some of you guys have done this, they had to go through this like really long, arduous process. Fill out all this paperwork. Um, they, the, their adoption was for, um, uh, for uh, foreign-born babies. So they had to fly across the world multiple times there and back. It was as spend tens of thousands of dollars. They had this crazy, arduous process. And I remember thinking, like, why? Like, why would you go through all that? Just have a baby. Like, what? Naive, for sure, on my part. I remember just thinking, why? And then my buddy described to me visiting the orphanage. And he described walking into this room and then he saw her. He saw her and with everything inside of him, he was like, that's my girl. Like, I want her. In the way that only a father can. He put his love on her. And guys, he was willing to do whatever it took. Tons of paperwork, flying all around the world, back and forth, tens of thousands of dollars, all of it. All of it, and none of it mattered. Why? Because he wanted her. That's election. That's the Christian doctrine of election. It's a living picture of the grace of God. And listen to me, when you realize that your poor choices, like your sin against God, has landed you in a spiritual jail jail cell and it's impossible for you to work your way out and that same God whom you sinned against says to you, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set my love on you. I foreloved you. That's my girl. That's my boy. I want that one. Like when you see that, Dude, it will melt the hardest of hearts. If you're having a bad day, just meditate on the doctrine of election. It will melt the hardest of hearts. It will soothe the deepest of pains. It will heal the greatest wounds. Guys, that's the gospel. That's Jesus' message. Do you believe that? Because the people in this passage didn't. 
It's crushing. So maybe you're still in the same spot with like, okay, why does God then, why does he sovereignly keep people in the jail cell of unbelief? I don't fully know. I don't know. Here's what I do know. That without people to reject Jesus, there's no crucifixion. Without the cross, there's no atoning sacrifice. Like there's no innocent blood to pay the debts of the sin of all mankind. What I do know is that God does whatever it takes to save those whom he's chosen. He goes to great lengths. Because why? He works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the flow, that's the current, the good of anybody and everybody who receives his free gift of grace. I'll close with this, I'll call the band up. Okay, so just to kind of review, Jesus' words in John, I know this is heavy, Jesus' words in John, not mine, but I am a messenger. Unbelief is the rejection of God and his word, it's the refusal to embrace him, and, refuse, and refusing to embrace his word is a refusal to embrace him. Okay, that, so Jesus' retirement speech, that's what we're talking about here, right? Jesus' retirement speech is essentially, if you reject my words, you're rejecting God. That's what he's saying. And the people, right? These people, they saw all the miracles, all the stuff, and yet they chose unbelief. They, pick and choo- they were picking and choosing Jesus' words. And in the process, they rejected him, their unbelief, right? Here's my question. Where are you at today? Where are you at today? Not yesterday, not 10 years ago, not where will you be a week from now. Where are you at today? This morning, going through this passage in John, this is an invitation, friends. This is an invitation. I personally, I want to invite you to receive the love and grace of God today. To actually receive it. I want to invite you to believe the truth of the gospel that God has foreloved you. Do you know what that means? That means before he formed you in your your mother's womb, he knew you. He set his love upon you. Not because you did anything better than anybody else. If this idea of election causes you to feel prideful, you don't understand it at all. He set his love upon you before you lifted a finger, before you did anything. Despite your sin, he desires you because the blood of Jesus makes it all possible. And because of the blood of Jesus, you can know him in return. That's the invitation to know him, to have that same love that was set upon you, to place that back on him, that's worship. That's the intimate fellowship that God offers us to have with him forever through the blood of Jesus. That's the invitation. But every single person on the face of the planet has a choice. I, for one, I want to be a man whose life is marked by daily opening up that present and enjoying it. God loves me. He gave himself for me. 
and nothing can take that away. This morning is an invitation for you to receive the same thing, to not beat yourself up over your sin, but to receive forgiveness and grace and know that God foreloved you and that's why he sent his son Jesus to die in your place on the cross. It's an act of love. It's a declaration of love that he set his love on you. He set his affection. I want that one. The one in the jail cell because of their choices in bondage to sin. They don't want to talk about it. They don't share it with other people. It's, it's, it's controlling them. It's holding them captive. They can't say no to it and they can't tell people about it. They're held captive. God the Father sent God the Son to free, to set the captives free. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for us. I feel like God has stuff he wants to do. going to minister, but I'm just going to take a moment and see if God wants to highlight something, okay? I feel like there's some ministry to be done. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. Recognize that you're present in us. And Spirit, I just ask you to rest upon your people right now. Actually, I ask you to rest upon this entire room right now. waiting just a moment. I feel like God's highlighting simple acts of obedience, like the very simple acts of obedience that he sees that and he wants to affirm that in you. It pleases It pleases the Father. It pleases your Father in heaven. When you choose righteousness, when you choose service, when you choose forgiveness, it brings him pleasure. I feel like the Spirit's bringing things to mind to some of you right now. Ways in which simple choices of obedience And there are others of you in the room who you can't move your mind past your sin. You're stuck on your sin. And I feel like the Spirit is drawing your attention to the cross that it's paid for. That you don't need to beat yourself up because Jesus was beat up for you. And you get to receive that. I feel like there's more. I feel like God's highlighting like specific sins of lust. Um, and I know that can be uncomfortable, but lust is not just sexual and like related to sex. Lust is like an over-desire. Sex is a good thing that God created. You can over-desire that. You can also over-desire you can have a lust for power. You can have a lust for money and control. And I feel like God's highlighting just an over-desire this morning that he wants to free people from with his grace and his mercy. Like deeper parts of your heart that need to be healed. Okay, so Spirit, we just trust you right now to minister to us. 
Um, I feel like there's, Yeah, Spirit, we desire for you to, to minister the gospel over us, the reality of the specific and personal love that you have for each one of your children and the lengths that you will go to. You will stop at absolutely nothing to have our heart. So I pray that this morning, um, as you're ministering to us, uh, that you would, you wouldn't stop I pray that even as people, um, even as people's minds may be elsewhere, and maybe even their heart is elsewhere, that you'd continue to initiate belief and call on them to respond. And I pray peace and freedom over the room. We love you, Jesus. Minister to us now as we seek you. Amen.